0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Koop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada.
1: Our whole series in the month of December is called Unwrapping Christmas, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to unwrap Christmas, and uh, we want to just get down to what is really Christmas all about. Of course, we know that, uh, but we want to review it. This is where our faith lies as Christians, and we want to keep going back to the basics, and understand this is what it's about we need to hear it and hear it again and again and just feed ourselves his word on the fact that it's about God showing up for us and for the world he loved the world he gave his son so this month is about unwrapping Christmas and keeping the the main thing the main thing remember someone once said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing and the main thing about Christmas is God showed up uh, so we want to do that today uh, how many here like wrapping Christmas presents who, who likes wrapping presents Okay, as I look around, most of those hands are women. There's a few guys out there, but, you know, not everybody likes wrapping Christmas presents. And, uh, but, uh, and God wrapped his present up in a very unique way. We're going to talk about that. He, he, he made a, an announcement in various ways that, that it was coming and uh, that the Messiah was going to be here. And, and today we're going to talk a bit about how we did that. Uh, when I look around the world today, we see there's a lot of wrapping around that message that God showed up, that Jesus came into this world. A lot of wrapping, uh, and sometimes you just want to kind of get past all the wrapping. Uh, I think a lot of times our world is we're more focused on the wrapping paper than the gift itself, and, and some people don't even know what the gift is. They they, they like the wrappings and. And the wrappings are nice, and they're fine, but we don't want to stick with the wrapping. It would be kind of sad if you were given a present, and you, and you just focused on the wrapping paper. you say, oh, what a lovely bow. I really like that bow. And you, just, you didn't play with the toy. You just played with the bow. And, and uh, sometimes you'll give a child a present, and they, they're, they're just playing with the paper. And you say, no, 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 open the box. There's something in the box. There's a toy in the box. And then they play with the box more than they play with the toy. You go, no, 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 no. But God is... Interested in us enjoying the gift more than the wrapping. And Christmas time, there's a lot of wrappings. It seems like as time goes on, we have more and more wrappings and more emphasis on the wrappings than we do on the gift. And uh, we have trees, and we put snow on, and we have bulbs, we have purple bulbs, we have wreaths, we have songs, we have candles, and we have Santa Claus, and we have lots of wrappings around this. And uh, as we go into this season, we need to again remind ourselves we want to keep the main thing the main thing. God showed up. I was driving my daughter to school this past week, and on the news they were saying, these are the top ten songs for Christmas. And they were commenting that the songs are drifting further and further from the traditional Christmas songs. And so I went back home and I, I Googled it. I wanted to find out, well, what were those songs? The number one song as of the end of November downloaded for Christmas Can anybody guess what that is? The number one song downloaded today for Christmas. I don't know how they do this, but anyhow, it was the number one song. anybody guess what it is? Which one? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It is on the top ten. It comes in at number eight. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Dreaming of a White Christmas. That's on there. It's number five. The number one song was Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Folks, we got a problem when our number one song is Grandma Getting Run Over by a Reindeer. (laughs) Then All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. The Chipmunk song was number three. Brenda Lee's Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is number four. Then comes White Christmas. Then Jingle Bell Rock. A Christmas to Remember with Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, number seven. Number eight, we got Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Number nine was Last Christmas, by Wham. I don't know who they are. Do you guys know? Okay. (laughs) Number 10. Thank God for Kenny G, because he brings in Silent Night at number 10. And we don't have another classical Christ-centered song until Kenny G comes in at number 20 with another Christmas carol. So it's kind of reflection that we've got a lot of wrappings out there, but we need to come back to the main thing, which is uh, God showed up. So that's what we're going to talk about today. They were waiting for that. The world was waiting for Christ to come. A lot had been said about that. And certainly in certain areas, in certain circles, there was this amazing anticipation for the Messiah. Christ was coming, it had been prophesied, had been spoken about, and they were waiting and waiting for that to come. You know, God sometimes keeps us waiting. I don't know if you, if you like it. I don't always like when God keeps me waiting. But he, he, he has us wait. The Bible says, by faith and patience we inherit the promises. And sometimes God has us waiting. There was a test that was done in the 1960s by a psychologist named Walter Mischel. And it's called the marshmallow test. You might have heard about it. And it was for preschoolers at Stanford University. And they were all four years old. And he did this test. It was a test to see how they handled delayed gratification. Every child was given one marshmallow in this preschool, and they were told they could eat it immediately, or if they waited until the researcher returned in 20 minutes, just 20 minutes, they could have two marshmallows. So you got all these little four-year-olds say, "You could have one marshmallow, you can eat it right now, or if you wait 20 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. And so they said it was very interesting to monitor and watch what happened to these kids. Some gobbled down that marshmallow right away, just ate it up right there, it was gone. And the others tried to resist eating it. And they said that some covered their eyes, some talked to themselves, some sang, some played a game, and some even tried to have a sleep in those 20 minutes, try to hang on for that second marshmallow. And eventually, those who waited were rewarded. They got two marshmallows. So, now fast forward. 14 years later, this psychologist goes back and he studies the same children that waited versus those who didn't wait. And what he found was amazing. The differences, they say, were astonishing. Those who were able to control their impulses... And delayed gratification As four-year-olds were more effective socially and personally as teenagers. They had higher levels of assertiveness, self-confidence, trustworthiness, dependability, and a superior ability to control stress. And so it became known as the marshmallow test, a famous test. They had the ability to wait. At Christmas, the first Christmas, they were waiting. God had spoken. Here in this marshmallow test, what had been spoken was... Another marshmallow if you wait. Well, God had been speaking to the people. And he said there is a Messiah coming. And really he had been speaking for years, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, that there was a Messiah coming to redeem mankind. We have to keep that message that we heard, we read about, we study, the main thing as we go into this Christmas season. So let me review a few things with you this morning. Number one, God had spoken through his prophetic word. Do you know the Bible has over 18,000 predictions concerning a lot of different subjects? And about almost one-third of the Bible is related to prophecy. In the Old Testament, there's 300 prophecies about His first coming, and there's about 500 about His second coming. That's a lot of prophecy about His return. There's a, there's a phenomenon today I don't know if you've heard about it. It's hard to miss if you're watching television or if you're on the Internet or not. About 2012, they, they say there's going to be, according to the Mayan calendar, according to this, according to that, there's going to be something happened, and we're going to go a New Age or catastrophe or something. And the Bible doesn't talk about 2012. Matter of fact, the Bible discourages us from setting dates because we don't know the time or the date when he will return. We'll know the season, but we don't know the time. So there's a lot of interest in that. The Bible is amazing with its prophecies, and really it's good just to take a study of God's prophetic word, how accurate it is. And there was these different prophecies that there was coming a Messiah, that Jesus would come. He would save people from their sins. He'd save us from our sins. And when you study these, it is undeniable how clear, how accurate it was that the Messiah would come. I love this study. I wish we had a week just to go through one by one and just show you how incredible Jesus filled each one of these prophetic words. And uh, there is a French mathematician. He said if one man just tried to do 40 of these prophecies, and there's many of them, but if one man just tried to fulfill 40, it would be like taking a number and adding 157 zeros to it. That's the probability. It's such a, it's an impossibility for what you do it, unless God had designed it. Here's some of the prophecies about Jesus' coming, his first coming, when he came to earth. The Messiah would be the seed of a woman and it would crush the head of a Satan. Satan, this is already in the book of Genesis. It's kind of an unusual statement when you stop and think of it, that the Messiah would be the seed of a woman. Because in reproduction, who has the seed, the man or the woman? The man does. But it very clearly says the seed of a woman in Genesis. Did Moses make a mistake when he wrote this? No. The seed of a woman was speaking prophetically about a virgin birth. Already in the book of Genesis. That's a study in itself. It says in Genesis also that he would come from the offspring of Abraham and would bless all the nations of the earth. It says that he would be a prophet like Moses, whom God said we must listen, according to Deuteronomy. He would be born in Bethlehem of Judah. So you can't just go ahead and fulfill this because you can't design where you're going to be born. So I'm going to be the Messiah. Well, it's already too late because you were born in Vancouver. You weren't born in Bethlehem. You've got to be born in Bethlehem. So they're not, you can't self-fulfill this. He would be born of a virgin. That's even harder to self-fulfill. He would have Jesse in his family tree. Just one of many prophecies about his lineage. Jesus is the only one who had the privilege of picking his lineage, and uh, next week we'll talk some about that his lineage. and you if you read about the women in his lineage, you'll be surprised. The grandmothers of Christmas, you'll be surprised. it's actually x-rated. Maybe we'll have an X-rated message at the grand service. <laughs> it's just gets you interested, you know anticipation <laughs> Yeah, marshmallow number two is coming um he would be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and will possess an everlasting kingdom according to isaiah he would ride into jerusalem on a donkey righteous and having salvation coming with gentleness and we know jesus came into jerusalem on a donkey these things are prophesied before that he would be pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities and This isn't the only one, but others, the Psalms talk about his crucifixion before it was even invented by the Romans. Incredible, the the prophecies that came about our Lord coming. He would die among the wicked ones, but be buried with the rich. Very specific prophecy, die with the wicked between two thieves, but yet we know Joseph of Arimathea had him buried in his tomb, and he was a rich man. Incredibly accurate prophecies about our Lord. He would be resurrected from the grave, for God would not allow his Holy One to suffer decay, according to Psalm 1610. He is the one whom Israel will one day recognize as the one they have pierced, causing bitter grief. The one they pierced. Not just they would recognize him one day, but the one that had his hands pierced, his side pierced. These are just a few of the prophecies. God spoke through the scriptures. Why were they waiting? Because God had spoken. God had spoken. The number one way we hear God speak is through his written word, and he had been speaking to them. Actually, in all the scriptures, in all the books of the Bible, you'll find Jesus. Years ago, Oral Roberts preached a message on who is Jesus, and uh, I'm going to quote from him a little bit this morning. He said, who is this Jesus? He said, in Genesis, he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the pe- pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Who is this Jesus? In Deuteronomy, he is a prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. Who is this Jesus? In First and Second Samuel, he's our trof- trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. Who is this Jesus? In Job, he's our ever-living Redeemer, for I know my Redeemer liveth. liveth. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In the Song of Solomon, he is our lover and bridegroom. Who is this Jesus? Jesus. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he's our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's a wonderful, four-faced man. In Daniel, he's the fourth man in life's fiery furnaces. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband. Who is this Jesus? In Joel, he's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit and fire. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. In Jonah, he's our great foreign missionary. Who is this Jesus? In Micah, he's a messenger of beautiful feet. In Nahum, he's the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, is God's evangelist cry. Revive that, uh, thy work in the midst of the years. In Zephaniah, he's our Savior. In Haggai, he's the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he's a fountain opened up in the house of David for sin and uncleanliness. In Malachi, he's a son of righteousness rising with healings in his wings. Who is this Jesus? In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he's the wonder worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. Who is this Jesus? In Acts, he's the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he's our justifier. In first and second Corinthians, he's our sanctifier. In Galatians, he's our redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of unsearchable riches. In Philippians, he's the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he's the fullness of Godhead bodily. Who is this Jesus? Well, in first and second Thessalonians, he's our soon and coming king. In first and second Timothy, he's our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he's our faithful pastor. In Philemon, He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Who is this Jesus? In Hebrews, he's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he's our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is our chief shepherd who will soon appear with a crown of unfading glory. In First and Second and Third John, he is love. In Jude, he's the Lord coming with ten thousand of his saints. Who is this Jesus? In Revelation, he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You will find Jesus in every book of the Bible. He's spoken of. He was spoken of then. They knew that he was coming. And so there was an anticipation for it. They were waiting for him. How else did God tell them that he was coming? Why were they waiting? Because he had spoken through the Holy Spirit. There's a guy not talked about a lot at the Christmas time. His name is Simeon. You find a story in Luke chapter 2, and we pick a part of it in verse 25 and 26. It's there in your notes. Now, there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. The Holy Spirit had spoken to him. God's word had spoken. The Holy Spirit had spoken. And to Simeon, he'd said, you will not die until you see this Messiah. Every day he served. He saw all kinds of people come and go. But one day, Joseph and Mary came. They were there because there was a ritual to have the child circumcised. And they brought the child. And and God, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, that's the one. And he took that child in his hands, and he prayed, and he prophesied over Jesus, and he prophesied over that couple, and he said, this is the one. And because of him, many are going to find him. Some of them are going to argue. There's going to be confrontation over his name. You can read his words in Luke chapter 2. But the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. God, the word of God spoke of the past. It still speaks today. The Holy Spirit spoke in the past. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to men today about the things of God. Thirdly, God spoke through the angels. He still does that. The number one way is through his word, but God still uses angels. And back then he had spoken to Mary. We pick up her story in Luke chapter 1. I have two verses there for you, verse 26 and 27. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. The angel shows up and says, oh, you know what, I've got to read this. What the angel says. If you have your Bibles, just flip over to Luke chapter 1. Let's pick up Mary's story here. Mary's an amazing lady. I'm looking forward to meeting her in heaven. I think sometimes we don't talk enough about Mary. She, she was an amazing lady, amazing woman of faith. Every one of these characters in this Christmas story were people of great faith. Simeon was a man of great faith. Mary was a lady of great faith, a young woman, maybe 14, 15 years of age. And she has this angel show up, and uh, Gabriel, nonetheless, God's chief messenger angel. And it, he says to her, rejoice, highly favored one. I mean, that's pretty good salutation. Somebody says, rejoice, highly favored one. You're, Mary, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. I, I would consider that too. Why are you greeting me like this? Angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb. Bring forth a son. She'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the son of the highest. Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know man? In other words, you know what she's asking? She says, how am I going to get pregnant? I've never had sex. That's... What she say? Angel answered and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Spirit of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is born of God will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who has been called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Now you got to like Mary's response. Behold the maiden servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. In other words, she's saying, I don't understand it all, but if that's what God said, then let it be. Tremendous faith. Angel had spoken to her, Holy Spirit had been speaking, God's Word had been speaking, and now she's waiting. She is literally expecting. She's 14, 15 years of age, engaged, pregnant. Her story could be told in many different ways. She's not wealthy. We know Joseph and her were poor because they offered just two doves when they went to. Uh, the temple later on, so we know they weren't wealthy. Some would be offering a lamb or a bullock, but they were just offering two two doves, so they weren't wealthy. The pictures on the Christmas cards show them on a donkey, but the Bible never does say they were on a donkey. We've added a lot of our own traditions to the Christmas story. And they had to go from Nazareth all the way up to Bethlehem. That's 110 kilometers. I don't know if they had a donkey. They tell us they likely had to walk that far. So can you imagine being nine months pregnant, ladies, and you got to walk 110 kilometers? That's a long ways to walk when you're pregnant. Even if you rode the donkey. She's not sitting in a Lexus, folks. She doesn't have air conditioning on listening to her iPod. She is, even if she's on a donkey, there's not a whole lot of comfort here. 110 kilometers. And then they get to town. They get into Bethlehem, and they go to Bethlehem, and they're looking for a place Everybody's in Bethlehem. Why? Because the Roman government decided that you had to go back to your place of birth to register for some more taxes. You like more taxes, right? Just like HST. They they weren't very much in favor except they couldn't sign a petition. They were under Roman government. There, There was no such thing as a petition. You just did what you were told. They showed up in Bethlehem, and they're looking for a place to stay. I don't know why they didn't go to Joseph's family. Maybe because of the embarrassment. Maybe because of the awkwardness of the situation, but they're not there. And you know the story. They go to the inn. There's no room in the inn. I just have one question for the innkeeper. What about your room? A lady's pregnant. I think the innkeeper later on in life would say, whew, I missed that one. I should have offered a room for that. That was the king of kings. That was the lord of lords. And I sent them over there to the stable. And the stable was likely a cave. Bats flying in and out, dark, dirty. There's no lights hanging in that cave. It's smelly. The floor is not swept, stinky, animals in a manger, our Savior's born. No mom. When our oldest daughter gave birth a couple months ago, Cheryl was there. Oh, mom, I want you there. When you, when you have a child, the, the daughter loves to have mom there. Mary doesn't have her mom there. You talk about an expectancy and a waiting. Oh, that story needs to be told. We need to reflect upon. Just that early day again, take off all the wrappings and just reflect on the faith and how God shows up in a manger. Why would he come in a manger? Man, if we were to do it and say the king was coming, we would we'd roll out the red carpet, we'd have, we'd have fireworks, we'd have lights, and we'd have a parade. God shows up in a manger. Why? If God came with all the pizzazz that he could, I man, if we could put on fireworks in a parade, imagine what God can do to create the universe. He would have scared us, would have driven us back. But God coming in a manger as a babe, we could all understand that. That wouldn't scare any of us. God does, God's love he never wants to scare you off. He wants to draw you in, have a relationship with you. God had spoken through his word. God had spoken through the Holy Spirit. God had spoken through angels. Amazingly enough, God also spoke through nature. God's still speaking through nature. In the book of Romans it says you can look at the stars, you can look at the mountains, you can look at his creation, you can see God's fingerprints all over that. The creation itself speaks of that. There are some wise men living in Persia, and uh, they had studied perhaps the writings of Daniel, they studied perhaps some of the other writings, and they knew that it was prophesied that a star would appear. Scientists have since gone back to that time, about 3 AD, and said there was an amazing alignment of stars. Uh, And you can... You can search that out. There's a lot of books, and probably now on the internet as well, that verify that there was a a movement in the solar system at that time. They were aware of it. They studied it. And so God was speaking to them through nature. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen the stars that arose, and we've come to worship him. These guys, too, were amazing people of faith. You talk about waiting. They were waiting. You know, in the waiting season, sometimes it feels like uh, the star has gone out. And that's what happened to them. The stars showed up in the east. Uh, they were from the east. The stars showed up, and they said, ha, the king has been born. We've read about This, this is a sign for us. It's there. It's, it's speaking to us, and, and we need to go. And these guys get together, they get their friends together, and I hate to tell you this, but there likely was not three wise men. It doesn't say in the Bible there were three wise men. It makes for really good uh, Christmas cards and for good songs, we three kings of Orientar. But there's likely more like a hundred wise men, and they came into Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't say the star shone the whole way, the Bible makes it clear the star goes out. Because when they get there, they ask for directions, and then the star reappears, and they're really excited because the star's back again to direct them. It's an amazing story of faith, how God was speaking to them. God still will use that today to speak to the lives of people. Then, fifthly, God spoke through signs. Does he still direct us? Does he still give signs? He does. We can't live by that. We have God's word to give us ultimate guidance, but God spoke through signs. To the shepherds. Luke 2, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Born to you for the shepherds. he's born for you. This is personal. It's born for us. Unto you is given. This is for us. This is for your neighbor. This is for the people we're inviting for the grand service. Born for them. Unto you is born this day. Wow. This is a personal thing. One song we used to sing at Christmas time was go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Folks, that's our assignment this week. Go tell it on the mountains. Go tell it. Take off that form, rip it off, and just say, hey, you got to come to the Grand Service. you got to come to this. Again, it's going to be an amazing service. You're going to see it's a wonder to have 60 different nations represented. Like I said, only the Olympics had 81. we got about just 20 less. That's, that's, that's a sign and a wonder of itself. We're going to have some amazing musicians that are going to be there. We're going to have amazing worship. Just to be together. It's a sign and a wonder. Uh, we, we have a job to do this week. Find somebody. So I, I, I don't know if I... And you don't do it for me. You don't do it for Cheryl. You don't do it for your life group. You do this one for Jesus. What's the greatest gift you could give to Jesus this year? Introduce him to somebody else. You know what Andrew said to his brother? He said, "Just come see. This that weekend is just come see. So you just come see, come check it out. Like we mentioned earlier, that we're not taking up any offering. It's going to be very friendly for people to come to and just just come see, just come check it out. What an amazing time we're going to have! Come see, come check it out. Ah. Yeah, it won't be the same." Vancouver will not be the same after next weekend. I don't know what he's going to do. But 14 years ago, or 15, driving by there, God said, you will meet in that day, in that place. Holy Spirit spoke to us, said, you'll meet in the Queen Elizabeth Theater. And we argued with the Holy Spirit, said, no, no, no. That can't can't be. That's impossible. I wasn't as spiritual as Mary. Mary said, let it be done to me. I'm just like, no, that's impossible. Can't be. And then we met in the Playhouse Theater. Okay, well, that was it. We met in the Playhouse Theater because it's next door. And it was like, no, in Queen Elizabeth. And I go, okay, I have no earthly idea how that's going to happen. And all of a sudden, here it is. We're meeting there. So when God speaks something to our hearts, 15 years ago and in 2010, we're doing it. I don't know what God's going to do, but I have, I'm waiting, expecting something next week will happen. And if all it is is us worshiping God in that place where all kinds of shows take place, Jesus just lifted up in the city, not just. If that happens, that alone is monumental in the city. Amen. So, that's not a promotion, but it is. Anyhow... <laughs> God spoke through signs. He said to the shepherds, you'll find him. This is a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. A sign. Sometimes we need signs. They had the angelic host tell them, and they were still needing a sign. Sometimes we just need a little more, God. I know you spoke this to me, but can you just give me a sign, a direction that I'm going, the, a clue, a sign I'm going the right direction. And God spoke through dreams. to Joseph. He, as he considered this, he fell asleep. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid. Go ahead with your marriage to Mary, For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He spoke to him in a dream. Very strong. I think Joseph needed it. Next day, Starbucks. Having a coffee with the friends, they take a coffee break. Probably not drinking Starbucks, more like Tim Hortons or construction workers. So they maybe Starbucks. Doesn't really matter. They didn't have coffee. They're just hanging out. And uh, he, his friends say to him, Joseph, "How's that engagement going?" Oh, we've had some interesting developments. Oh, really? Like what? What's happening, Joseph? Uh, well, Mary's pregnant. Ooh, how's that going over? Um, well, not, not, it's kind of awkward. Why? Well, um, I had a dream the other night. Yeah? Yeah, in the dream, I had an angel show up, and the angel said to me, I should go ahead and marry her, don't be afraid, because a child has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. I'm supposed to name him Jesus. Uh-huh. Nice knowing you, Joseph. <laughs> Man, you're talking about faith. Joseph had faith. Waiting. I think he was super waiting, expecting. Wow, what is going to happen? Mary was waiting. Simeon was waiting. They were waiting, expecting that great Christmas day. God, does he still speak today? Absolutely. He spoke about the coming Redeemer. He's speaking about things yet to come. God had spoken through dreams. God had spoken through... Uh, actually, I had that point number six twice for you, on the front and the back. That's just so we don't forget it. Uh, that's, that's a very important point. Uh, God has spoken through dreams. God's speaking through dreams today. He's speaking through His Word today. What's he speaking about? Jesus has come. Well, he wants us to recognize that love. He wants us to embrace that love. And he wants us to be ready for a couple things. One, he wants you to be ready for heaven. And secondly, he wants you to also be ready because Jesus is coming back. It amazes me how God speaks to people today. Through his word, through the Holy Spirit, through dreams, sometimes through angels, God's still speaking. And we're waiting for what God's going to do. I had a fellow I went for, down Robson Street, he used to work at a pizza shop, and I went there to meet with him. Today, he's written a book about it. And he talked about how he, he told me the story, how he had a dream and a visitation from God in a prison in Kuala Lumpur. He was radically opposed to Christianity, but Jesus visited him in that prison cell in a vision and a dream, and he gave his life to Jesus. There's a story about a a gal that I I, I read about in, her story was featured on CNN. And at four years old, she had a God spoke to her and told her that she was to talk to others about God's love. And uh, Akiana is a very interesting girl. She says, I wake up uh, after I had dreams and I would tell my mom about it. And she, would, she gave me a canvas and she said to paint it. And so she starts painting when she's very young. At eight years old, she painted this amazing picture of Jesus incredible. And I'll show you a picture of it in just a minute. And it's this frontal picture of Jesus, his eyes. And she's painted this at eight, at eight years of age. And she says, I'm always thinking about Jesus and talking about him. I was looking for a model for a long, long time. I couldn't find anyone. And one day I said to my family, let's pray for a model that God would send the right one. And she said, that day we prayed, a tall carpenter, yes, a carpenter, came to the door looking for work. When he showed up, Akiana nearly fainted. I told my mother, that was him. I wanted to be my model, she recalls. And he did, Anonymously, became the model. She's up every day at four. She does a prayer time. She does her exercises, and then she paints. Her average painting takes about 90 hours to paint. She paints on big canvases. She paints maybe eight a year and her paintings are amazing expression of the love of God. And this is what God spoke to her. Now, the interesting thing is her, her mom was an atheist. Her dad had no faith. And so there's no faith background at all, but God speaks to this girl in a dream. And today she's speaking through her work and through her paintings about the love of God. And her message is, the greatest thing we can have is faith in God and be ready for him. CNN did a clip on her. Oprah did a clip on her. A number of people have interviewed her because it's just an amazing story. And so here's a little clip from CNN on Akiana. God is still speaking to the lives of people today. Let's watch this and then we'll wrap up.
2: A self-taught artist who says her inspiration comes from above. Paintings that are spiritual, emotional, and created by a 12-year-old prodigy.
0: This painting is called Father, Forgive Them. I've completed this painting at the age of nine.
2: Her name is Aki Ana. She picked up the brush when she was just six years old, but the visions, what she calls inspiration from God, started when she was just four.
0: The first time when she came to me, I knew it was real to her what she was saying, the visions of God and things she had seen, places that she has visited.
2: She began to describe to her mother in great detail her visits to heaven.
0: All the colors were out of this world, hundreds of millions of more colors that we don't know yet. And the flowers are crystal
2: clear. Her mother, remarkably, was an atheist. The concept of God never discussed in their home.
0: And I explained to her, you have to believe me, this is a, a different way, that, a, um, a way that's so mysterious that God wants me to go through.
2: To four-year-old Aki Anna, God quickly became a part of her daily life, and eventually became a part of her family's life too.
0: I think that God knows where He puts our children. Each family.
2: Akiana describes God as vividly as she paints Him.
0: God looks to me like a bowl of light. He's pure. Uh, he's, he's really masculine. He's really strong and big, and. Um, His eyes are just beautiful.
2: Her talent doesn't stop at her artwork. Only a few months ago she decided to learn the piano. And is now already composing her own music. But it is her painting that truly captures the incredible spirituality of this young girl
0: the visions to me i felt it was like he's explaining himself to me and what he does to this world
2: she is a self-taught painter and as she grows older her paintings grow more expressive more colorful more complex a girl who armed only with a brush and some paints is determined to capture the essence of her faith and hopefully along the way inspire others to feel the same way.
0: The most important thing in this world is faith. Without faith, you cannot communicate with God. It is just so beautiful up there.
1: The most important thing, she said, is faith in God. Jesus said, when he, before he left, he said, I will come back. He said, "In John, I go to prepare a place for you, that there where I am, you may be also. When he took the last supper, communion, he said, I won't do this again until the kingdom comes. When he was taken up into heaven, the angels came and told the disciples, the way you saw him go up, he will return. Heaven's a prepared place for prepared people. Jesus will come back. I know there's thousands of different versions and ideas about how it's all going to end. And I don't have all the answers to that. I'm not an expert on it, but this much I do know. There are these different prophecies that he would come. And there's many other prophecies, more that he will come back. And we're waiting. Our Lord will return. And he said, until that time, would you, would you occupy, would you tell the world of my great love? We're waiting. We're waiting. Like they did that first Christmas, today we're waiting. And while we're waiting, we must be about our master's business.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.